Hey, humans out there, I need your help. Humans Now and Then is in the running for a People's Choice Podcast Award under the Society category. If you love Humans Now and Then, please vote at podcastawards.com. That's podcastawards.com. Also, follow Humans Now and Then on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to be one of the first to learn more about the upcoming Season 2. I'll be sharing some exciting announcements soon, and you do not want to miss it. And now, let's dive into Episode 24 of Humans Now and Then. Make sure to listen to the end to hear some exciting information about the upcoming Season 2 of Humans Now and Then. As many companies shifted to a virtual workforce, people have become more aware of the importance of great virtual leadership and human connection. In Episode 24 of Humans Now and Then, I speak to Donna Hansen, technology speaker and productivity trainer, about how our virtual world has impacted our work, as well as the critical importance of effective, relatable leadership. Leaders that show up, that stand up, and that share that I'm just like you, I put my pants on one leg at a time, it creates relatability. And when people can relate, they're they're going to be more engaged. Over the past 20 years, Donna has helped thousands of people who use technology every day to save not only hours, but literally days and weeks on common tasks. She's presented programs in seven countries and is the author of two books, Reclaim Your Inbox and Control-Alt-Delete, Reboot Your Productivity. Donna is passionate about helping organizations and their teams get off technology and back to doing things that matter. So, ready to discuss more about the importance of great leadership and authentic connection in an increasingly virtual world? Let's discuss. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then. Donna Hansen, thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me, Rebecca. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you on. And just let listeners in on a little secret. Donna and I had a fantastic conversation a few weeks ago. Um, I feel like so much has happened since then, but I'm really just glad to reconnect today. <laughs> thank you. I, I felt like we could talk the leg off a chair. Is that a is that a saying that's familiar? You know what? I, I don't know that one, but I'm going to definitely put that in the episode notes because I love to learn new phrases from different areas of the world. <laughs> So Donna, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you? Okay, so I've been a professional speaker, trainer, educator for the last 20 plus years. The company I worked for uh, went into receivership and uh, I was left with absolutely nothing. So not unlike the COVID-19 crisis where the rug just gets pulled out from under you. And um, at the time I had a two-year-old, my marriage was breaking down and of course no job. So what did I do? I decided to start my own business uh, and I'd been in the training space, adult learning, uh, and I love technology and the fact that Technology has the power to really leverage our time if used strategically rather than just used ad hoc and you end up uh, with a time waster. So I'm really passionate about helping people get off the technology and back to the things that matter. So things like building relationships, spending more time with your family, or just simply achieving more in less time. Yeah. Who doesn't want that in their lives? So I think that's amazing. Tell us a little bit more about your background on adult learning. I know 
based on the current situation where a lot of people are, I guess, stuck at home looking for things to do, one of the things people have turned to is online learning. So what's some of your insight um, in relation to people jumping on that online learning bandwagon in this point in time? Yeah, look, it's an interesting thing, Rebecca, because we're looking to fill our head with stuff. And I think if we don't have the specific nature of how this is going to make my life easier, we're not going to retain it. So I'm a big believer in just-in-time learning or getting help that is specific to your needs rather than just stuff. Because let's be honest, I could learn how to write visual basic code and how to code a computer, but am I ever going to use it or do I have any need right now? And I might go, oh, well, maybe in two years' time I could need it. But in two years' time, I don't know about you, but I'm lucky to remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, (laughs) let alone remember something that I learned, you know, two years ago. So You know, although it might seem like a good idea to load our brain with stuff, sometimes we need the right stuff is my methodology. The most important thing is that what we need now and what we're going to need in two weeks' time are likely to be totally different things. Yeah, I think we've all kind of experienced that as things continue to change. It's almost a day-by-day circumstance. Um, And maybe we needed to kind of go through that journey to kind of feel how this is going to go and really accept the unknown as we kind of look forward into, you know, tomorrow, next month, next week, and thinking about how our lives will be disrupted over the next, you know, year or two, or who knows how long. Yeah, I I actually think that it it was such a shock that it was almost, well, it was, it was a loss. And from what I've been reading in psychological journals and from recognised psychologists and psychiatrists, you know, as human beings, we've gone through a grieving process because we've lost our ability to have control over a large portion of our lives. And, you know, that impacts on our day-to-day mental health, on our productivity, you know, on our not knowing. You know, one of the things that human beings like is a sense of certainty. We like habit. We like routine. And our routine's changed. And whilst we have to accept that change is part of life, you know, what is it they say, death and taxes. And, um, you know, it's still a hard thing to adapt to. And especially when you haven't seen it coming. And it's very much one of those things that a lot of people maybe didn't see this coming. Right. Yeah. And I think it's been interesting to see the shifts that organizations have had to make moving to a vastly virtual workforce, uh, where there were trends, of course, prior to the pandemic of more and more people working remotely. Now you have organizations where almost their whole workforce might be working from home and maybe for some time. Absolutely. And some have really been quick to adapt. Uh, And, you know, you tend to have this early adopters type of curve. Well, we didn't have that. We had everybody had to adopt this curve. And I think uh, I know for some of my clients, the shock and just the uh, having to uh, automatically triage their businesses and get people online. I was talking with a um, uh, a client of mine last week and she was saying there was a section of their business that had their staff didn't have laptops. They operated on desktops. You know, they'd never budgeted for any of this people having laptops all of a sudden when we had to when we were forced to shift to this environment you know 15 laptops and automatic setup came up for these people so they could work from home because it became business critical it was no longer a a nice to have it was we have to have this because if we don't 
we can't we simply cannot operate right and i think it's definitely shifting the mindsets of a lot of organizations so even twitter came out and announced that they were going to allow their workforce to continue to work remotely for you know an indefinite time frame so i we know organizations started shifting towards that remote workforce yeah, look, I think um, I think this is totally going to change the dynamics of how businesses operate. And Twitter is a, a good example. We're seeing organisations like Facebook and Microsoft who are saying no face-to-face meetings until probably mid-2021 if, in fact, we get to that point. So I think it's shifting the whole business model and I think there's going to be some industries that are going to be totally decimated by this, not just by the shutdown at present, but potentially aren't even going to recover from this. And one of those I think could well be real estate, commercial real estate, because a lot of organisations are going to go, hey, this is reducing our our costs. Let's have a look at at a more increased remote workforce. Not only is it is it a great uh, employee benefit, you know, once we get to know how we're going to operate with it, but uh, it's going to significantly reduce real estate costs. It's going to reduce some electrical consumption. Uh, it's going to keep bring down pollution. It's going to help with global warming. So there's all these flow-on conversations and thoughts and savings that organisations haven't thought about. But being put into this scenario means that now these are things that organisations are bringing to the forefront because they can truly see the value in adapting and changing and creating a new business model. Right. It's interesting when you see something um, disrupt, well, yeah, in this case, the entire world um, and having organisations have to really shift their business model and how they engage their employees um, entirely. And it starts to create new patterns of work, starts to create new relationships people might have with their employer, but also kind of more of this kind of blending of their personal life kind of along with their work in different ways uh, than in the past. And and there are new challenges that organisations are going to have to face. You know, in, in the past, probably one of the most common things that organisations had to face was, you know, how to, how to manage that work-life balance. You know, you had a lot of human capital and expertise was lost when traditionally women decided to leave the workforce to have families and weren't able to come back in a format that worked for them once they'd had children to be able to manage and have a bit more flexibility. Well, now organisations are going, well, hang on a minute, we've just been slapped in the face with this. We can really see the value that it brings to the business of being able to offer this flexibility. We can retain top talent. And, you know, that's one of the most expensive uh, elements of any business, the human capital and the fact that, you know, whether people are on or off, and and I mean that uh, metaphorically, you know, whether we're mentally on, whether we're productive, etc. You know, it's not like a, a machine where you push a button, it does something, and if it doesn't work, you get it fixed. We're now looking at, at how do we do those sorts of things with human beings and it's going to be a challenge for organisations to look at, okay, so now we've got a new set of retention and mental health problems and productivity problems, work-life balance sort of stuff and keeping people engaged, inspired and retained is going to increase as we move out of this. Oh, I, I completely agree. And how we engage employees needs to completely change in, in many ways as well. Um, so new expertise in 
remote leadership, I think, is is being developed and maybe disseminated differently than than in the past. Mm, absolutely, and I think you know, even though we've seen uh, an influx of online meetings using Zoom or Teams or WebEx or GoTo, whatever the platform, the issue isn't the connectedness it's the fact that we're not actually connected we're connected virtually and we need to find a new way of connecting that makes us feel the same way as we do when we're connected physically because that physical element is lost and when we're on something like a a video call we know we're being watched but yet you know, it, it's hard for us to adapt to that because, you know, if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever age you are, you have that body of experience leading up that that's how things are done and it's innate, it's automatic and just to have it thrust on us, aside from all the other things that we're trying to manage in our life, we feel more lonely than ever and for a lot of people that, you know, the commute, to work was a wind up and a wind down of our day. Now those, you know, six or seven steps from your lounge room to your dining room or your kitchen, that's your commute. And it's not enough time for people to disconnect. And so the challenge is going to be, uh, you know, creating that separation, that virtual separation of the two things. And it's easy to say just you know, spare room, shut the door, and that's the end of your day. But and, and for some people that'll work, but for others that there's a lot more going on in the background that they need to deal with. So I think it's going to establish some new, well, it certainly has already some new opportunities. It's encouraging organisations to embrace technology that perhaps they were hesitant to work with. And uh, it, it's also just going to change the dynamics of how globally we operate. Right. And I think it does disrupt or maybe change our relationship with technology because, of course, as we know, many people were very reliant on technology or sometimes maybe overused technology in relation to things like social media or, you know, just general screen time and how that might impact us as people. But now those screens are serving as kind of a window to the world outside of our home, a window to other people out in the world uh, that we can't physically connect with today. Do you think that this will continue to kind of disrupt our relationship with technology? And I just wonder your opinion on the long-term impact of that. Yeah, look, I think it has the ability to engage, but it also has the ability to distinctly disengage. And we see that. We saw that before all of this happened. So I don't know about you, Rebecca, but sometimes I'd go out with friends and I'd have friends who would have their phone on the table as we're eating dinner. You know, they'd be constantly back and forth texting their kids who are like teenagers going, oh, I've got to keep an eye on them, got to make sure they're okay. They might need me and not being totally present. Whereas now we're relying on technology so much for those communication pieces. If we're not careful, we can get sucked right back in and just become so attached to the technology, it becomes like a lifeline to the outside world. And, you know, really, we need to make sure that we switch off and time for, you know, disconnection and being truly present with things. So I don't know if you've read any of the books by Cal Newport, who's a professor of computer sciences at Georgetown University in in Washington, D.C. 
He has some really good insights on disconnecting from technology and doing deep work and goes back into history and explores some of the most amazing, innovative people and how they actually stepped away from the busyness, which at that time might have been uh, academia or uh, being around their clients or customers and actually took detailed, specific time out, scheduled time out to focus on deep work. So he has a couple of books that I've, I've read. I'm partway through deep work at the moment, but he has another one called Digital Minimalism and it's all around the concept of how technology is actually a little like the equivalent of a slot machine. It's designed to suck us in and get our eyeballs onto stuff. And right now, we've got no choice because that's how we're going to get business continuity. But we need to be mindful that we need to balance this as we start to come out. Yeah, absolutely. Just kind of thinking forward about, yeah, maybe the strategic angle organizations having to think differently about their strategy, potentially dis, you know, disrupt the strategy they may have developed and think forward. And you think about that from the angle that your perspective in relation to technology and let's say the well-being and effectiveness of people in an organization. What are some of the pitfalls you feel organizations might kind of fall into in this point in time? And what might be good solutions for them to look to, to make sure they're thinking forward and getting through this time? I, I think one of the key things is asking people what would be beneficial to them. One of the things I think tends to happen in organisations is somebody decides this is what we're going to do and thrusts it on the business and then the business goes, hang on a minute, this isn't what we want. When you get some insights, even if internally organisations conducted simple focus groups to say what would help you be more engaged, be feel better about your work, you know, rather than looking at going, here's a business case, a bean counter business case that says if we do this, it will achieve that and this is how much money it's going to save us. But reality is when you have a business case like that, what tends to get overlooked is the human element, which is the piece that, Rebecca, nobody can control. So the best way to um, manage that is to ask people what they want. So, you know, even some of the things I've been talking to clients about are running internal focus groups, uh, you know, to try and determine what it is people would find useful and practical and what are the challenges that they're experiencing with all of this. You might think the challenge for your employees is, you know, managing homeschooling of your kids. But if it ends up you do a um, a focus group and you find out only 5% of your staff have an issue with that, but, you know, 95% have an issue with something else, wouldn't it be better to know that before you invest the money? And other organisations as well are looking at generic things. So who can I go to and buy something off the shelf that will, and I'm, I'm using the air quotes here, that will fix my problem? Generic doesn't work. People don't like generic. You don't mind generic if you're buying something cheap like flour to cook with, but specific has the ability to be able to really leverage your team coming out of this time. So things like focus groups, working out what it is you've got, or even creating things like internal masterminds where people get together and they talk about the challenges that they're experiencing. In my case, it might be with Excel or with email management, et cetera, and then talk through collaboratively ideas and, and strategies without judgment 
and then walk away with action points. When people feel like they're being asked to contribute to a solution, they're more likely to be engaged in the successful outcome of that solution rather than if it's thrust upon them. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I think this is an interesting time to think differently about how do you engage your people? Because if it really is an, an engagement question, of course, businesses have a multitude of new problems they may be facing right now. And bringing your employees in to be a part of that solution, to bring their ideas and feel like they're contributing to something that helps move the company forward. And in some cases, maybe even save the company from falling apart. That's meaningful to a lot of people. And I imagine that would be a great way to get people not only motivated and engaged, but also to help them be more productive in their work. Absolutely. And I think communication's the key. If you look at what's happened with this crisis globally, some leaders, some country leaders have handled it really well. Others, not so well. One of the people who's getting a lot of global attention that has handled it really well is uh, Jacinda Ardern, who is the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Uh, She's getting a lot of kudos for how she's handling it and her communication style. I think in a time of unrest and unsettling, people want reassurance and you want reassurance from your leaders. And I think organisations, you cannot underestimate how much it will mean to your team for them to get authentic insights from the top. So I'm not suggesting that the CEO or the president of the company needs to sit down and write a 40-page document just updating all the staff on things, but, you know, something authentic like a two-minute piece to camera on their smartphone just saying, hey, look, you know, we're all going through this together. We're all experiencing these things. Just want to let you know these are the things we're doing. And the more regularly that someone can do those sorts of things, the more comfort your team will get from it. And as a result, they'll start to feel a little more engaged. Yeah, there's definitely something very powerful with leaders that are able to build a human connection with their people simply by showing their vulnerability, being honest about the struggles they may be facing in this very difficult time, but also giving people some level of comfort that it's okay if they're struggling. It's okay if you're going through hard times at home or in life because of what's happening around you. But seeing that demonstrated by leadership is so powerful. And I think um, the mistake that organizations sometimes make during times of crisis is you know kind of hiding the fact that leaders or the company is struggling, which I think is a mistake. Mm, absolutely. Um, people are looking for optimism. They're looking for certainty that we are going to come out of this and we're going to come out of it a better organization you know what are the things that the the board is thinking about you know it's really highlighted the fact that our infrastructure wasn't as good as it could be and we're working on that it highlights the fact that maybe we don't have enough resources in x area and this is what we're going to do do about it but leaders that show up that stand up and that share that I'm just like you, I put my pants on one leg at a time, it creates relatability. And when people can relate, they're they're going to be more engaged. And I think uh, the US company Zappos, um, you know, has made a, a magnificent business model about the personal emotional connection, regardless of what level of leadership or role people are in. And it's time to sort of throw away those uh, tiered management structures and remember that as human beings, we can't do 
in larger organisations, our work without the support of each other. So a president cannot get their salary, cannot drive a business on their own. They need the team around them. So I think it's an opportunity for them to step into that less hierarchical space. It's not about being consultative and, and, you know, and asking someone on the shop floor about strategy, but what it is is just being seen to be uh, understanding of all elements of the business rather than being viewed as being someone in an ivory tower. Mm, yes. And how much value, I mean, then employee feels valued and seen. Um, so much power behind that. Yeah. One of the things that we saw in this crisis as well was uh, the uptake of Zoom, the video platform, and they had some issues with security. And one of the things that just was amazing leadership was their CEO and he just, rather than hiding behind PR rhetoric, he put his hand up and said, yep, you're right. We've had like an increase in subscribers of like thousands of percent and we've let them down and here's what we're doing about it. And he did regular town hall type webinars where he just kept users who were concerned up to date. Now. It's easy to point the finger at people who are not showing up. They're just shutting up, putting their head in the sand and hoping, you know, with time things will go away. But those organizations and businesses where their leaders start showing up and showing that they are human and they are fallible and things do happen and that we all make mistakes and we're doing something about it creates a connectability, but it also means that, you know, as an organisation you want your team making mistakes because if they make mistakes and they share the mistakes, we learn from them. But if they make the mistakes and hide them under the carpet, they come out in a way that isn't always good for business. Oh, definitely. And that's basically the hallmark of a fear-based organisation where people are afraid that they make a mistake and it'll it'll impact them negatively, which of course can create a toxic workplace at its worst. And, you know, that's a challenge for some organisations because that's been their culture. That's how they've done things or that's associated with a particular type of industry or workforce. You know, that's the way it's always been. And it's really quite a challenge for a leader to step up and say, hey, I know this is the way we we did it in the past but I don't think that's working for us anymore. And I think we need to change that. And I mean, we've seen things like that over the years with um, with different businesses. We'll be looking at doing something a certain way and then they'll pivot into something else. And sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't, but sometimes you just got to give new things a try. Right. That's the way you um, kind of stumble upon new innovation. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it takes some level of risk. But I think it also gives people some level of freedom to bring themselves to work and really demonstrate their strengths differently and their and share their perspectives and be okay with healthy conflict so that people can work together to achieve amazing things. Well, I think too what it does is opens up creativity. And you want creativity because from creativity comes opportunity and not just opportunity to generate more revenue, but opportunity to be part of something bigger than ourselves, something that's going to serve, you know, our community, our country, our world in some way. And unless we do that, we're just going to keep doing the same thing the same way, expecting different results. And wasn't it Einstein who is credited with that quote? Yes. 
Yeah. Yes, it was. Yep, that's right. I've done a lot of work in high-functioning teams, and really you're talking through the recipe of a high-functioning team. You know, people who are willing to speak up, people who feel comfortable to be who they are, people who are willing to work through conflict, people who are willing and brave enough and vulnerable enough to share their ideas and be creative, um, and then work together to solve solutions for a greater purpose and a common good. And I think if we come back to something that I know we talked about when we were having our initial conversation, was talking about silos. You know, in a lot of organizations, there's been a silo of knowledge and you know, one division or team doesn't necessarily interact with the other. And although over the years, you know, a lot of people have said we've broken down the silos, the air, the finger air quotes are coming out again here. We're often not doing that. We're still not doing that. There's still pockets of um, duplication of investment in developing something that another team or division is automatically or is already working on and uh, you know that doesn't serve a business that serves to isolate a team but what it also does is it encourages people to keep information to themselves and you know one of the things I'm hoping that we see as an outcome of all of this and, and certainly I'm starting to see a lot of my clients taking on board this idea is um, virtual mastermind groups one of the big things that happens, Rebecca, is when someone leaves an organisation for whatever reason, a, a whole lot of IP walks out the door. Now, some of that is specific to the business or it might just be innate, you know, a process. If you've ever been in an organisation where you ask somebody to do something and they go, oh, I don't know how to do that. Andrew used to do that and he left the business and nobody knows how to do it. So it used to be termed as cross-training, but I like to think of it as cross-learning. And I think a virtual mastermind or the concept of it is just brilliant because it enables you to have a team of people who are all passionate about get, getting better for the business, about building their own expertise and education and creating a framework through which they can uh, facilitate conversations to drive change, but also to solve problems. One of the things that I, I see in, in my work with clients, when I ask people, what do you do when you have a problem with uh, Excel or email or, or whatever? They say, oh, I just go to Google. Well, I tell you, that's the biggest waste of time because if you have one person in an organization go and Google something, five to 45 minutes for them to find an answer, depending on how precise they are and how interested in cat videos they are as well. <laughs> and um, uh, so, and then they've got to get back to what they're doing and tick the box and they never share it with anyone else. Whereas if I could come to a team of people as, as someone in an organisation and go, hey, I've got this problem. I'm trying to do this report. I don't know how I can do that. Let's collectively talk about what strategies and insights we could use. And, and there's likely to be someone else who's done exactly the same thing as that person. And in the, in the blink of an eye, a snap of a finger, an instant, they can take someone from not having an answer straight away to the answer with the specificity that they need, that they'll never get from Google. So that's the value of virtual mastermind. Yeah, what a what an interesting concept too to think about. So applicable right now because it gives people an opportunity to be involved in something meaningful and also learn something meaningful from other people. It does serve as a good connector. I mean, in the absence of physical presence, definitely being able to have meaningful conversations about something important, especially if it's something you're really passionate about. And then also 
a better, more effective way for other folks to learn. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, the technology can't change the physical distance, but it can make getting answers a lot swifter because it's just as fast as Googling, but far more effective. You know, if you had a regular mastermind meeting that was virtually held once a week and everybody had a framework set up and they knew what the expectations were coming in and they knew what they were supposed to do in between to maximize the value, you know, it's great for business. But the key here is it needs to be facilitated and not driven. And that's pretty hard to do when you're inside an organization. You tend to find somebody wants to drive it. And as a result, you don't get the engagement, the take up and the value that you get from having uh, an external facilitator manage that for you. That's so true. I think facilitation is an art that is underappreciated. Absolutely. I also think that when an organization pays for someone externally, it's a demonstration to the business of the importance and the value they place on it. You know, how much does it cost to bring somebody like Bill Clinton or Richard Branson in the old days, air quotes again, when we used to have face-to-face conferences, how much would it cost a conference organizer to bring a big name speaker in like that? And, you know, people pay attention. When there's money involved, people pay attention. But if it's part of their day-to-day work, they pay less attention. Right. That's so, so true. And I think it's one of those things that's really interesting too, and you see the dynamic in some organizations where they feel obligated, I think, to follow bigger names, bigger titles. Um, So if it's a meeting or maybe an event that they need to follow, if the name is bigger and the title is bigger, they feel more of an obligation to attend. I'm wondering if people could start to think differently and maybe shift that mindset towards the expertise that their peers might have. How do people learn from one another differently? Yeah, I think each has their purpose. Celebrity is great for making sure people attend or when you're trying to get uh, people to come to a a live event and they're paying individually. The, The novelty factor, but the thing that keeps people in an organization and keeps people coming back to something regularly is the engagement factor. So you can't just go, oh, so-and-so tells good jokes and they're really good. They're an extrovert. They're good at managing meetings. They're good at running meetings. They can keep everything going. Uh, No, that's not the person you're looking for. The right fit person is somebody who understands your organization. And like the conversation we had I'm sure, Rebecca, like anybody listening today, you've met people where you have a conversation and you walk away and you go, "Mm, that's an hour of my life I'm never going to get back. (laughs) And, you know, then there's other conversations where you go, I'm really drawn into that person. I don't know what it is, but I find them engaging. I find what they're saying to really resonate for me. And that's what you're looking for. And you can't get that from a one sheet. You know, you you need that personal emotional connection, which coming back to Zappos again is something that they do so well. Their customers call in and uh, they're connected with somebody who becomes like me, like them. That's what we want. We want to feel connected And at the moment, we can't be physically connected, but we can feel connected when we think people that we're talking to are just like us, or I could be just like that. It's aspirational enough to be realistic and not too aspirational to be totally out of the realm of possibility. Definitely. 
there's something to be said there too about people feeling vulnerable vulnerable enough to have honest and open conversations and really kind of open a window to who they are, to the people they're talking to, to demonstrate not only potential connections like you're mentioning, so things that we might have in common or ways we might connect. So certainly, Donna, you and I connected last time we had that conversation. That was a great conversation we had. We both felt the energy from it. But that connection came through not only some of the shared values that we have and some of the shared experiences that we have, but also just because we're able to talk to, to one another, not necessarily hold back and really just have an honest and open conversation being exactly who we are. So that allows us to demonstrate and maybe even gain some trust. Mm. I, I wonder if maybe uh, the virtual technology is really widening an authenticity gap because there's there's nowhere to hide. Right. You know, you can't hide in a meeting where, you know, the camera's on and there's nothing else to distract other people. Right. And, you know, you might have kids running in the background or your dog might come up or your cat might jump on your laptop. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. I mean, even with even with the virtual backgrounds they have now in Zoom, I mean, those things have happened in those virtual meetings that we're having today more and more. I think in the past, what's really interesting is that less and less of that life showing up in those types of meetings was tolerated uh, previously. And I feel like it's more tolerated today. Now it's now it's like a circuit breaker. Like I think one of the classic ones that that went around was I think it was a British politician and he's sitting in his desk and he's a little kid wanders in and then the the wife comes in and she's down low trying to pull the child out and I mean it's the human side and I know I saw one of uh, a weather person in the US and. It was feeding time for his dog and his dog's come up in front of the camera and it's just, and he's going, I can't see me. And people love it. It's like their own, it's like a real life version of the, you know, TV's funniest bloopers sort of show. Yeah, but it's also highly relatable. Absolutely. It's real. It's authentic. So um, through all of this, we're, we're seeing another level of authenticity revealed and we're also seeing another level accepted. Right. So important. And we were talking before about a little bit about leadership. So you had mentioned uh, the CEO of Zoom coming out and taking accountability uh, for you know the security flaws that Zoom encountered, talked through a plan to get them going and said, hey, I'm, I'm accountable for this. I'm going to drive this forward. I'm going to make this right. Um, I think that level of accountability is a great demonstration of leadership. And wondering if more and more we talk about authenticity and kind of showing it more of who we are and, you know, not even just about who we are as people, but things that are happening around us during this point in time. I wonder if that kind of value and demonstration of authenticity becomes more and more valuable moving forward. Agreed. You know, it's easy to switch your personality on and off when you have a commute. It's like a a metaphorical coat of armor that you put on. You dress up in your your business suit, your attire, you drive or you commute on a bus, a train, whatever, to your traditional place of work. And the minute you walk you walk in the door, it's, it's a bit like a performer. You are a performer. You know, you're switching on, you're being your work persona. But the challenge for us in this time is we haven't had enough time to adapt to these different roles and changing that, the metaphorical caps of the roles we play in life so we we all play uh different roles in life you know the the role of the parent the role of the daughter the role of the mother the role of the the partner 
the role of the friend, the role of the trusted advisor. We move through all of these roles quite seamlessly when we move physically with it. But now we're needing to move through those different roles. And whilst we know we're moving into different roles, logically it's hard to delineate those sort of things when there isn't the physical separation. Mm, right. So I think the authenticity piece is is really important. And I think, you know, for a lot of people that maybe hadn't felt that they could be truly real when they were working from home and now there's a lot more acceptance to the fact that there are different types of authenticity and that there are different ways of presenting ourselves to the world and that we all have multiple layers of who we are, whereas in the past there was an expectation the minute you walk in the door you're, you're, or you're, you're clocked on and, and you know, you're there for work. Now it, it's, it's a bit more free-flowing and I think, again, coming out of this, we're going to see far more flexibility with regard to how people work, with regard to when people work. And, and certainly as we start to, to go back, I don't know about the US, but here in Australia, there's talk about um, teams having split shifts and some being in some days and some being in other days and that the remote work will continue, certainly in the short term, as we just look to ease back into this, because it certainly isn't realistic for us to go, all right, the chains of lockdown have been released. Uh, You are now free to go around the world. Um, It's not going to work like that. It it has to be a slow thing. And I was saying to someone yesterday, it's different to something like a hurricane. A hurricane was the, the best analogy I could come up with. With a hurricane, they know it's coming. They know where it's going to go. They know how strong it's going to be. They know how to prepare for it. The hurricane comes, the hurricane goes, we rebuild afterwards. This, it came, we can't see it. It's invisible. It's all around us. We don't know who has it. We don't know who hasn't. We don't know the implications and it's not going to move away like a hurricane. This is going to be a slow-moving process and it needs to be responded to differently. So as businesses, as human beings, we can't respond as if this is finished. We need to ease back into it for our own safety and for safety as a, a global community. Right. And I think we're talking about safety much differently than we did in the past. And I think it definitely is a mind shift that will probably enter our consciousness a lot more going forward than it had in the past. Absolutely. And I think I might get shares in in a hand sanitizing company because <laughs> their prices are going to go up for them for a while. Can you imagine if you invested in hand sanitizer months ago? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I I had like a a half litre bottle on my kitchen sink that had been barely used. You know, that the stuff you just put on and you rub on and you don't have to wash it off or anything. And um, and there was scarcity. It was like the toilet paper, Mm -hmm. toilet paper gate, we called it over here. And um, (laughs) paper disappeared hand sanitizer was the same and I'm going well you know how good am I I've got this half liter of of hand sanitizer on my kitchen counter and we're still going through it even though it lasts a long time but you know you just laugh at those sort of things because you can't do anything else really I guess right yeah we had the same thing happen here uh it could have been a kind of black market for your <laughs> for your hand sanitizer potentially at one point in time Absolutely. So, hey, I've got another uh, couple questions for you about the future. Go for it. So what are some of the things that make you optimistic about the future? 
all right, just let me grab my crystal ball now. Yes. <laughs> I think what makes me optimistic is the opportunity this is presented for people and organisations to look at things differently, for us to look at how we can be better as as businesses but more importantly as communities. I think it's reminding us the importance of those close to us, the importance of being present. And I think if that's, I'm loath to use the word gift, but uh, if that's something positive that comes out of this experience, I'd like to think that we're going to be more present and more connected to those close to us. And I'd like to think that organisations will use this as an opportunity to create better engagement, better collaboration internally and and not just have it as, you know, a rhetoric statement but really truly embrace what those words mean and empower their staff to to deliver on their promise to their business and their customers so that the people can go home at night or log off at night and really feel like they've given all of themselves to something that really matters and they go home and can give all of themselves to the other things that really matter in their lives. Yeah, that's definitely a picture of fulfillment. Absolutely. Yeah. So on the flip side of that coin, what are some of the things that make you concerned about the future? Um, I think my my biggest concern right now is that we as a human race and as a result organizations assume that we're going to go back to normality. This is a rug pulling from underneath us uh, and it's an opportunity for us to totally change the dynamic uh, in in a similar way to, you know, changes as we went through the horse and cart to a motor vehicle. It's a unique opportunity for our era to be able to go, well, how can we make the world a better place? You know, what are the lessons that we've learned out of this and how can we change what we're doing to to leave a better legacy? And I'm concerned that people are just going to get caught up in, in doing what they did before and that nothing's going to change. So that's the thing that concerns me. And I think the way to counteract that for me is just to, take some self-leadership, self-accountability, self-responsibility and make the decision as an individual that coming out of this, I am not nor do I intend to be the same person I was when I came in. You know, what are the attributes that, that I'm changing in myself to make my life better, to make my contribution better and to make the world a better place for those that matter most to me? They're the things that I'm concerned about, that we don't use this as a time to reflect and be better me, be better us, be better as a global community. I couldn't agree more. And I have to say, my listeners are getting to know me well enough to know now. I really love it when people end on a great, compelling call to action. Absolutely. So Donna Hansen, this has been an amazing conversation. And thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. Although the prevalence of virtual work has expanded over the past several years, 
This year's sudden and vast increase in the remote workforce has shifted our perspectives on work and its integration with our lives. Whether it be discussions about effective remote leadership or the virtual windows that give us a view into the lives of others, we are becoming more aware of the impacts that the pandemic has had in our work and how these changes may persist well beyond the pandemic. As Donna points out, this is our opportunity to learn from this time and do better as individuals and as a global community. What have we learned about the importance of authenticity? Have we become more aware of the value of interpersonal connection? Have we become more empathetic about the different circumstances that we each face? If so, then now is the perfect opportunity for us to step up in order to shape the future that we envision. So go on, go help shape the future. To learn more about Donna Hansen, check out her website at donnahansen.com.au. That's donnahansen.com.au. Well, that's a wrap on season one of Humans Now and Then. Thanks to all of you for listening, cheering me on, providing your feedback, and supporting my mission to inspire others to shape a better future. But the journey is far from over. Season two starts on Thursday, August 6th, and just wait until you see who will be joining me. From business leaders to entrepreneurs, from authors to icons, season two will be packed with groundbreaking dialogue that will help you shape a better future. Take the time right now, if you haven't already, to subscribe to Humans Now and Then. And please rate and review the show if your platform allows it. Also, follow Humans Now and Then on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to keep up to speed on the launch of Season 2, along with sneak peeks, important updates, and opportunities that you do not want to miss. Thanks again to all of you fabulous humans. I can't wait for you to join me for Season 2. Until then, well, you know what to do. I am Rebecca Scott, and this has been Humans Now and Then, hosted and produced by Rebecca Scott. Music by Ryan Sullivan, Rebecca Scott, and Victoria Scott. Credits and resources from this episode can be found in the episode notes at humansnowandthen.com. Thank you for listening.